You're listening to No Dice, No Problem, a new monthly Asians represent variety show hosted by Drew Kwan and me, Daniel Kwan, on the One Shot Podcast Network. Check out uncut video and other exclusive content at patreon.com slash AZNS represent. I just feel like I need to be working all the time. And then if I'm not working, something's wrong. And I don't know if this is like a holdover from academia where it's like, oh, if you're not working on a new paper, if you're not doing research, sure. then somebody else is and they're getting ahead of you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that I think that's kind of where this comes from. Yeah, uh, I understand. Yeah. And even with it within like TTRPGs, because there's such like a pervasive sort of hustle culture. Um in part because a there's very little money in RPGs, so you're constantly having to work. Yeah, um, there's very little stability unless you work for one of the big companies. Yeah, very. B, I think very nearly. I think almost everyone is a freelancer, so that you have to. You are just forced into the hustle. You know. Yeah, and it, and you know we con- and especially with like Twitter and all of that stuff, we're constantly. It's constantly reinforcing the fact that if you aren't talking about your work, if you aren't putting something out publicly, then you're doing something wrong. And you yeah. can't like quietly work on something. Yeah. Or at least if you're quietly working on something, you feel like you're behind if you're doing so. It it feels like an industry in which you often cannot let your work speak for itself. You know, if you're not spending every little moment engaging or creating engagement uh, and doing things that put a spotlight on you then you're not getting ahead in any particular way or or you're actively falling behind, which I think is really unhealthy. Yeah. I think it's really unhealthy for the industry. Uh, Like when you look at Twitter, you know, so many people are saying good things, but sometimes we're all saying too much in my opinion. Like, like we can all just like take a break. (laughs) Yeah. Take a break and then return like the next day and tweet 15 times a day. Yeah, and and some yeah. <laughs> people, you know, there's a lot of like rage baiting. There's a lot of just, I don't know, there's a lot of drama in the space, and a lot of the drama is because of genuinely bad people, and yep. they're being shitty. And I am not saying that they don't deserve to be called out. Of course they do. But then there's like the extra stuff. There's the there, there's like the interpersonal drama that people put online for the purpose of getting views when that didn't need to be there you know yeah clicks likes or just i th- I feel like a lot of people just feel like they have to say something yeah like you have to say something like i have to take a stance right now and then you know a week later i have to put out an apology thread yeah um, it happens a lot it happens a lot and it's exhausting and i i think i've hit a point in my burnout where the things that I really love are not catching my attention. Sure. You know, it's like I'm less excited about the projects I'm working on, like my independent projects I'm working on. Or I I don't want to, like, read an RPG book or I don't want to do, you know. One of the things that I've had a hard time doing is I, I think I'm just so burnt out that, like, my hobbies are, aren't as interesting to me right yeah. now. And... I don't like that. I don't like that. Um, but, uh, and I think a part of it is just because social media is just so exhausting. Um, 
And I think that's why I like No Dice No Problem because we aren't trying to put out something educational like Asians represent. Mm -hmm. We aren't, there's no pressure to do like sort of the harder stuff that we do on the, like the main show. And it's just, Hey, just two dudes talking about <laughs> taking shit. Well, or, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really nice because you know, it, it feels like no dice, no problems. Mission statement is that, uh, uh, Daniel and Drew have fun. That's the, that's yeah, it. Yeah. That's it. We don't have to worry about the rest of it. And hopefully, yeah. Uh, other people resonate with it and have fun with us as well. And, and I think that they do. Um, but then we don't have to worry about the extra stuff. And we get to just talk about the things that we do enjoy just from the perspective of I enjoy this. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's just it's a podcast of where two friends just talk about what they love and what you know makes them happy. Mm-hmm. Like and I I really hope we get to do it live. That'd be lit. At like uh Big Bad Con. Yeah. Uh I really hope that works out. Um by the way, did you fill out your scholarship application? I think I did. I'll, I'll have to check after this. <laughs> I, I'm pretty check, sure I check did. check after. Yeah. Um but yeah, we uh I really look forward to when we can do this live. Because I don't know if we can do I don't know what an Asians represent live looks like. Sure. Because like I think an Asians represent live could be, hey, let's talk about cultural consulting or let's talk about this particular genre of fiction. Um, but I want something more like more casual, kind of like I no still think a you great the, the bathroom one. A great okay, I have a couple ideas for live podcasts, which they're not live in the typical sense. Like I don't it'd be in person recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So one idea, as we've mentioned before, is a bathroom. Um, <laughs> I think it'd just be so for, funny. For people who are new, it's just us sitting in like neighboring stalls, just running them the microphone cable underneath the bottom or over the top and just talking while the toilet. Yeah, yeah. Such a and, stupid idea. And so funny what for, I think we should do reason. is we should get an agreement with the facility where we basically rent out that singular bathroom and we have friends of the podcast every so often come in to quote, go to the bathroom, but then they just sit in the next stall and we just interview them. Just feed another mic over. We just interview them (laughs) from the other stall. That's so good. And we're just good. Yeah. God, there's that one. I also love the idea of us doing a podcast while on a road trip. God, that'd be fun. I really, I did that with, I drove to Gen Con in 2019 with um, the Broadswords podcast. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't make content anymore. Uh, but we recorded like a podcast in the car. And I don't think it ever saw the light of day. Oh, right. But I, I really want to do uh, No Dice, No Problem on the road. Kind like we're, we're just like, it's just like a road trip. And we're going to go and get food somewhere. Kind of like, I really like what the Try Guys are doing with the tripod. Mm-hmm. I really like that format, and I think it would be really funny with with us if we did yeah. a mega podcast while on a road trip. Like, problem is like we're so far apart. Yeah, we that, ha- it, it's it's a, it's a whole road trip just to get to each other. Yeah, I unless we recorded our audio and video separately while we're driving to each other, and then <laughs> in the podcast we do, we time it so we have like an hour of us driving to each other. And then we finally meet, and then the videos merge. That's funny. 
I think that'd we, be just, funny. we just vlog on our way to each other. Yeah, and then and then the end of the vlog is us finally meeting up. Yeah, which I which I guess we we could we could we could do for a big bad con, but not in a podcast format because we'd have to. That's the whole video. I guess we'd we'd have to talk the entire time. We'd have to have like rigs and mics and somehow sync it up. Yeah, we'd have we'd have to figure that out. My but other convention I, podcast idea, which I've okay. mentioned to you before, is I think which if one? we go to Big Bad Con, we both uh-huh. buy matching sets of heelys like with the with the wheels on the heel yeah and we just take it on the go and we just record while we're rolling around the convention center and then when we see people we'd have to we'd have to have wires and we'd have to just like oh we can we can get like uh handheld wireless microphones right and just just record it that way and we just we just okay you know roll up on people I just roll Daniel Andrew roll up on people. Yeah. That's the episode. That could be fun. I think Big Bad Con is very much a lobby con. So we could also do the whole, we're just going to sit down at a table, set up a camera, and just talk. And then yeah. if people want to come in, they can come in. Yeah. We'll sign a form or whatnot. And then they'll come in and join us. I think I think that would be really fun. See, I think but we should do a- that, but the bathroom. Yeah, you just want to do I that. just want to the, do the, the logistics of so the the, the the logistics of the bathroom podcast is just so difficult, um, especially getting permission from said facility to do yeah, it. Yeah, we'd have to get permission from the facility and the convention. I think we can at Big Bad Con. I think we can easily do a car podcast. Yep, and we can easily do like a lobby podcast where folks can just like come in and join us because we could set up a we could set up the camera we could even just use a phone uh because phone cameras are just so good now we could set up a phone on a tripod have like a battery running into it just have like audio like i could literally just run audio from the phone and then have separate audio on a mic and i could just sync them up yeah but we could just we could do so much and then we could you know rent a car or something or if we have friends who are going to big bad con who are local and drive we could do a podcast in their car. Yeah. I think that could be super I fun. I think it's super funny. Um, and then we can go and get food or something. I think if we went to Big Bad Con, it would be a lot of like, okay, we're going to do a whole bunch of Asians represent content at this con. Yeah. And outside of this con. <laughs> use the con as an excuse to meet up. Yeah, it's just an excuse for us to do our like zany ideas. All our zany ideas and as many as possible in the hotel. Yeah, we ha- yeah because we have limited amount of time. We have to get through all these ideas. Yeah, we ugh, that'd be fun. Just a whirlwind of content. Yeah, we um, could do like a, I, we could do I, like I, a trilogy of podcast recordings, and that's just like a canonical trilogy. format. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every con we go to, we do a bathroom episode, we do a lobby episode, we do a car. Episode. Yeah, it's the yeah, it's the big bad trilogy. The big bad trilogy. The BBT. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Big Bad Con, if anybody from Big Bad Con is listening. You know, if you want to sponsor this, we'll shout you out <laughs> while we're there. While we're there. <laughs> Let's make this happen. Or or if you folks are fans of the, uh, any any of our listeners are fans of these ideas. If you're fans of us big, and fans of public restrooms, we're the podcast <laughs> for you. At Big Bad Con. <laughs> be like, we need Daniel Andrew to do No Dice, No Problem. Live at Big Bad Con in multiple formats. Yeah, and we don't want to be um, we don't want to be rude. Like we we'll, we will take 
the bathroom that's at the farthest end of the convention, like the bathroom that nobody's going to go into. We, you know, it's not going to take the main <laughs> one or anything. Like we're not assholes. We're just pooping out of them. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're not going to go to big bad con now. <laughs> um, we get but yeah, I, letters in the mail. I know. God, I I'm really, imagine if we got a ton of sponsors for that particular episode. That would be funny. Sponsored by Febreze. <laughs> we get a candle sponsor we get a candle sponsor or something yeah god that'd be good clorox um, bleach wipes <laughs> or we get oh man we just need to do some in-person stuff because i feel like we could take asians represent to like a whole other level yeah if we did it if we if we were at least close to one another yeah because we can we can do a lot of we can explore a lot of other tabletop games uh, that have sort of Asian influence. We could play Infinity, which has a ton of very interesting. John, I played that Asian the other world day. building. What a good game! Right? Um, I lost really badly, but what a good game! Hey, hey, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I sometimes getting into a new game and losing all the time is kind of comforting because there's so little pressure on you. Like right sure, now for, sure. for flesh and blood. My, do you know what my flesh and blood record is in organized play? It's bad. My, so in the uh, Blitz format, uh-huh. my, uh, my record is one win. Yeah. One draw. Okay. Ten losses. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Yeah. yeah sure. my, my record sucks. The first event I went to, I, I went 0-4. Second event I went to, oh and four. Third event I went to, uh, I went uh, two one and one. But my draw should have been a win. But we went to time, and I was like, absolutely fucking this dude up. Mm-hmm. But I was playing a new deck, and I was I was I was admittedly taking a little long because I was trying to figure out the, the mechanics on this new sure. deck. But I'm getting better. I'm getting. Better. I have uh, I have two flesh and blood decks now. I have two. You have I, have, I have Fi and then Azalea. Oh, Azalea, the archer. Yeah, I've got yeah, the Azalea deck. Yeah, because um, my local, my, my FLGS has started doing, uh, I think, like Tuesday night uh, Flesh and nice. Blood games. Uh, and so because of that, they're now also stocking more like F, like Flesh oh, and Blood awesome. content. Right? We, should, we should play remotely. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be, be relatively easy to do. There isn't spell table. But I know the Azalea stuff well enough because I have an Azalea deck. Sure, and even even if there's no technical spell table for it, I'm sure we could just use spell table to like show it all, right? Show it all, or, or yeah, or like uh, we could do it in um, Streamlabs because Streamlabs has this like I saw this thing where it's a uh, you can actually invite another camera into your overlay. Oh, okay. So then we could we could figure out a way to do it. I think it'd be fun. I. I really like that game. I think it's a because of the low pressure of me not being, be being me being very new at it, and the fact that when I got my first win, everyone was like, "Whoa!" Whoa. And I was like, <laughs> "Fuck yeah!" Um, it was like the perfect. It was the perfect match because I just basically overwhelmed this dude. Yeah, uh, I've yet to play. I don't deck. even know how to play. I'll I teach just, you how to play. I we just should, bought those could, two decks, dude. We should do it. I'll I'll, I'll teach you how to oh, play. Yeah. It's so easy. Um, I recommend starting with that Phi deck because okay. Phi is the probably the easiest here to learn. Azalea is really complicated. Yeah, because when I first bought Phi, 
that was like the only one that they had because I yeah. guess it was easy to learn. So that's what they'd recommend people. Um, Fi's also the the one hero where a budget deck can really still absolutely smash uh, a high level deck, like an yeah. expensive deck. I will because say Fi's really straightforward, and most of his cards are cheap. It was difficult because like they had a bunch of other ones, but yeah. Off off the rip, it, it was kind of hard to tell as someone who's never played Flesh and Blood, never seen gameplay, have no idea yeah. how it works. Uh, those little uh, Blitz decks do not like when you're standing there at the desk of they the don't LGS, tell you what they do. They don't, I don't. I was like, OK, I mean, the, the art's cool. I'll buy that one. <laughs> Fi, Fi's whole thing is that you attack as many times as possible in a turn. Okay. You basically chain attacks together. It's like that. In like in in like that an action anime where you just like throwing like a ton of strikes at someone. Sure, you like um, Donnie Donnie and Wing Chun people. Yeah, you're like Ip Man. Except Fi's whole thing is that he sucks at blocking. Mm. So the whole thing about Fi is you have to basically strategize as to how many hits you can possibly take okay. before you swing back. Yeah, uh, even stronger. Azalea is really hard because as an archer, uh, Azalea has to like load arrows. Um, and it's all about gambling by moving things from your top top of your deck okay. blindly into what's called the arsenal. Uh, Azalea is really cool. I, I played against an Azalea and lost to an Azalea uh, sure. last week. Um, Azalea can is basically like each turn you do like eleven damage in one shot, and you for the most part start with twenty health. Okay. Um, and that's Azalea's whole thing. And Fi's whole thing is like you're doing like. You're throwing like four or five attacks, but they do like between one to four damage mm. each turn. Um, and I'm recently built a uh, a deck around a hero called Prism, who's a, an illusionist. And all I do is I throw angels at people. I just attack with angels. <laughs> okay. But they all have this keyword called phantasm. And if they're blocked by an attack that has like an attack card that has six power, it basically ends my turn. Okay, which when you learn the game, it really fucking sucks. Um, but against like a character like Fi, who doesn't have any attack cards that have six or more power for the most part, it's just really oppressive. Sure. But I played against a dude, and all his attack cards that he would block with had six power, so I had I had nothing against him. It oh, okay. Sucked. So so prism um, hard counters some, but then also gets really hard countered by others. Yes, and there are ways of getting around this phantasm thing. Like I have cards that remove phantasm from my first attack or something. Oh, okay. Um, or like I have a cards that say, "Oh, anything blocking has minus one attack or something to to negate it." Yeah. But it's uh, it's really, it's really cool. And I'm building a new deck for a hero called Lexi, who's also an archer okay. like Azalea. Uh, but Lexi is all about instead of one arrow, trying to shoot multiple arrows per turn. Okay. So, instead, uh, it, so it's so really not neat. instead of one big arrow, just like multiple little dinks. Yeah, I'm trying to then like Lexi can either do uh, ice or electric arrows. Okay. And so you can kind of build your deck around both of those or one of them. I'm building around ice. Uh, Azalea is all about like top deck manipulation. Very, very interesting. They're very different. Yeah. Um, Azalea is like really hard because... While most of the cards in your deck are really cheap, like twenty five cents or less, um, Azalea's equipment is very expensive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Her her equipment's very expensive. That's the part of the game that's actually quite pricey. 
um, is the equipment because you you're like your chest piece might be two hundred dollars for the card. Ah, uh, absolutely which, which not. I don't have any of that. I don't have any of that. Nope. Um, but I felt like with Phi, I could still be competitive with all of my equipment being twenty five cents. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's some research in that, and then some of the other heroes are technically banned in organized play right now. As which, it goes, well, they they do this whole thing to keep the game balanced. Yeah, it's where the the win cap, and then once they hit it, yeah, then... the the living legend status, and then they'll release a new version. Um, so like, there's a new version of Prism coming out in the next set. Mm, okay, this is very clearly my like current obsession, and the only time I really <laughs> leave the home. <laughs> like, I I think by the the game store that I go to. They're primarily a flesh and blood store. And I go with a friend of mine, Oliver. We go literally every Thursday and we play. And there's usually like 16 people there. Yeah. And it's super casual. Everyone is really friendly. Like one guy was like, hey, do you want to just like try out using some really nice equipment? And and handed me $500 worth of cards. To be like, hey, here, try it out. Um, And everybody there is really friendly. And it's like, hey, trying to help me like play better and it's been really nice being a learner and not thinking, oh, I need to make content. Oh, I need to do <laughs> yeah. this. Um, it's been really great. Uh, I realize that not all stores are like that, but I'm very happy. Shout out to Negative Zone Comics. Yeah, I but. have yet to go to... So so Miniature Market, which is here in St. Louis, um, yeah. they are great. Uh, love them to death. Um, the staff are very, very friendly. Uh, people I've met there are friendly, like just in terms of other other uh, visitors. Um, yeah. But I just mm, have not walked in for the purpose of playing games with strangers. Uh, I would yeah, definitely need was, like, uh, a buddy to go with me. Yeah, I, I went alone the first time and it was it was intimidating, but everyone was super friendly. So that's why I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm going to keep doing this. Sure. Um, but I'll I'll teach you how to play. It's oh, yeah. su- it's super easy. I you can pretty much learn in. I say you could learn the game in less than thirty minutes. Yeah, it doesn't. Especially if you're it's probably not that. Fi. It's probably not that hard. I mean, the difficulty is probably in, in like understanding like the synergies of things, not the actual like base mechanics, right? Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Or when you're like playing Fi is very different from like playing Azalea. Sure. Um. So kind of learning about the key cards and the key things that the each hero is trying to achieve. Yeah. Uh, that's where the, uh, the gameplay gets really deep. Yeah. My, uh, FLGS miniature market. I mean, they do like, God, they do everything. I mean, they do magic. They do flesh and blood. They do battle tech, Warhammer, uh, star Wars, uh, X wing, Armada and Legion. X wing is so cool. Yeah. I listen. I'm talking. X wing is so cool. I'm trying to talk one of my, uh, co-workers into getting into x-wing or armada because uh, he loves star wars and has never gotten into like miniature games and i was like Actually, listen the, the 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 quality of those minis yeah pre-made they are really nice well painted you know cheap compared to a lot of things yeah yeah and you can you can get a starter kit and, and play because x-wing's in its second edition right now uh-huh. uh and you can get like a starter kit and it's got everything you need yeah i uh one of my friends, uh, Matt, who you've talked to in my Discord yep. server, uh, he, he was really into X-Wing, and so we played a bit. Yeah. Um, I um, think it's a cool game. Ooh. Uh, the new Star Wars Shatterpoint uh, yeah, just came Yeah, the new miniature game. Yeah. The skirmish game. Um, having played Marvel Crisis Protocol, which is by the same uh, team, 
Oh, is it? Yeah, it's the same team. It's it uses a lot of the same mechanics, uh, which I think is great because Marvel Crisis Protocol is an excellent game. It is that is an unrealistically fun game to play. Um, I highly recommend it. It feels very I dynamic. Did. It feels very cool to play. I didn't know they were the same company. Yeah, if I remember correctly. They even use the same they even use the same like uh movement markers and and everything. Um but that game is great. So I would assume Shatterpoint is also great. It's a matter of I guess finding a community. Yeah. It's like oh the you know the minis are going to be awesome. Like the sculpts first of all for for Shatterpoint. Yeah. Are incredible. Yeah, they're great. But if you can't find people to play with it's just it's just kind of dead. Yeah. So let's say I'm very thankful that uh, uh, my boy Sam, one of my uh, local uh, friends, mm. uh, we will often try to get together on Tuesday nights to try to play something because we both own so many different games, whether it's Infinity. We both own Infinity. We both own Battletech. We both own Warhammer 40K, Age of Sigmar. Um, yeah, so you can Magic play the Kill Team. Yeah, we can do whatever we things. wanted. You know, uh, but he also owns... I think at this point he owns every single thing for Marvel Crisis Protocol. That's been his big, like, I want everything from that game. Um, mm. They're and, nice minis. I remember yeah, when they great. launched it at Gen Con. Beautiful minis. Yeah. Uh, and he's very good at painting. Uh, he, You know, he's all in on the miniatures. So that makes it easy then because I get to just go over and be like, yeah, we'll play Marvel Crisis Protocol. And I don't have to bring <laughs> a single thing. <laughs> it's all right there. See that that's awesome. See that's awesome. I I think that's what I have right now with Flesh and Blood and Magic. Yeah. Um I just I don't know. After that Pinkerton stuff and Yeah. And everything I just oof. I have a hard time with Magic right now. Yeah. Um despite having pre-ordered the Commander decks for the Lord of the Rings set coming out. Yeah, the day before the Pinkerton stuff came out is when I bought those new Commander decks. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, beans!" <laughs> like, and like oh, I have, okay. I like, and like I have fun playing. Um, like I have fun playing, and like we played last week. Yeah. Uh, Emma, our, our friend Jonathan, and I, we had a game, uh, and it was really close. Yeah. Um, but uh, and I have fun playing, but I just I don't know if I could do. Like, I think it would be fun to make like commander content, even though there's so many people making that. But I just like I don't. I just feel guilty playing it sometimes. Yeah, I know that's that's something I struggle with. It's just like, and I know you and I wanted to talk about um, Jeremy's question uh, in like in our mail time because Jeremy asked like, "What's a company that the two of y'all used to ride hard for back in the day, but since either view critically or hate?" Like example um, that Jeremy wrote, being like a big Watsy stan um, and now criticizing them, or in his case, Nintendo. God, I can't stand Nintendo. What have they done recently? Because like, I know that they, they just like there was that YouTuber that they took down. Yeah, it's pretty much. Uh, I don't know. I do not because I don't like Nintendo very much. And I'm also mm. not I am not the target audience for their games. Like uh, everyone's freaking out about uh, the new Zelda Tears game. Of the Kingdom. Yeah, oh, and dude, I'm just it's so like, good. Like Sarah's playing it in the background right now. I don't hate it. I'm just like, good for you, buddy. Like, I don't I don't care, you mm. know. But. So so that means I don't also keep up with Nintendo news, but my understanding is it's just it's just more of the same same bullshit, right? You know, where they don't they want 
you to enjoy the game in the way that they think you should enjoy it. And they don't like, they don't understand the internet or content creation. And they don't understand how these people have helped them grow over the years and why like this, you know, like the smash community through the tournaments, um, helped make smash bros of what the, 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 the success oh, and then they killed is. it. And then they kept, you know, trying to kill it, you know, all over the years. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yep. I don't know. I, I don't understand how a company like Nintendo has survived to this day based on the decisions that they've made. Well, I mean, they have, they have extremely hardcore fans. Yeah. Right. Which like, and, and respect, I mean, the, but the, yeah. the Mario movie is like, absolutely crushing it um they've just been around for a long time they've always been innovative with their consoles like they they own handheld sure right now they like sony they the ps vita was the last handheld that sony had and like xbox i guess you could say like x cloud is handheld but i don't think they own the market like nintendo does with the switch or like they previously did with the 3ds and the ds and see, and see, maybe I'm missing out on something because I don't, I don't understand the importance of handheld. Like, I don't see the value in it. Oh, because uh, if, if I'm out and about, I'm out and about. Well, I'm, not, I'm not playing games. I guess because, like, for me, I have like really fond memories of playing Pokemon in the car with, on like a family road trip. See, I get motion or, sickness so bad. I, I, or, I, I can or like, for handhelds, like if I have to go to the office, I take public transit because I got in a bike accident and I totaled my bike. Um, but like I take public transit right now and what do I do on public transit? I play Chrono Trigger on my phone. Uh Um, and it's the only time I play Chrono Trigger when I'm outside. I understand the value of like mobile gaming on your phone because you're, you are handheld consoles. I'm not, I'm not taking a backpack with me and putting a two, three, $400 console in there to then carry with me everywhere, you know? Yeah, I get that. I haven't taken my Switch outside of my home in years. But we are going on a, like, Sarah and I are going on a road trip to Ottawa for for a funeral. Um, But I'm going to bring the Switch with me because I want to play Tears of the Kingdom. But I think I would only consider bringing the Switch with me if I've got a game I really want to play. Because the last vacation we took was last June and we went to a cottage. And I had no interest in bringing my Switch. Um, and that was actually at the time when Diablo Immortal came out and I was playing it a little bit. And then I realized how much of a fucking grind that game is yep. and how like predatory that game is. Um, and so that entire trip, I was mostly just like reading books and eating M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, pursuant to the question, uh, for me right now, oh boy, it's Blizzard. Activision for Blizzard, sure, right? Yeah. yeah, it's Activision 100%. Blizzard. 100%. Which like, you know, to be fair, it's been Activision Blizzard for a long time, right? In, for for in terms years. of for, yeah, they've been they've been fucking up for a long time. Um so I guess even more specifically, it's the the Overwatch team, right? Yeah, with specifically around the canceling of the PvE content for Overwatch 2. Yeah. So for those who don't know, um, back in 2019, when Overwatch 2 was announced, uh, Overwatch 2 was touted as being this incredible P- 
PvE experience where there's going to be highly replayable missions with very customizable characters. You know, you could play uh, Reinhardt and through his skill tree, make him a completely different character, you know, and, and really kit him out and, and change up how he plays. And that would be true then for all these different characters. Um, and they were really pushing for this, like, super high replayability, excellent campaign, narrative storytelling, mm-hmm. yeah, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then people started going, oh, well, this must be why... Uh, Overwatch 1 is dead and basically gets nothing in terms of updates or or anything else. Um well they shut down the they shut down the servers like the day before the well, uh, the, the, the launch of Overwatch 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like leading up to that, it was like, oh, "Okay, this must be why we're getting literally nothing like for this game is because of this Overwatch 2." Um which was like, "Okay, well then Overwatch 2 everything I think everyone was very uh, optimistic and hopeful then that Overwatch 2 would knock it out of the park." Um, Overwatch 2 last year goes live as a PvP experience, the, you know, very similar to uh, Overwatch 1, except with an engine upgrade, uh, Battle as pass. well as, you know, yeah, and now it's free to play and it's 5v5, not 6v6. And, you know, but everyone's like, okay, this is like the, the breath of fresh air, you know, let's, let's get this, this ball rolling. And, you know, but where is PVE? And they said, well, you know, PVE will be coming. We are working on it. Mm. And uh, everyone, I think, went, OK, well, it you know, they probably need an additional revenue stream. This revenue is probably going into uh, the PVE experience, you know, knock it out of the park. You know, great stuff. If it's not going to be great, then just delay it. Well, as of last week or so. Um, yeah. Lo and behold, and last week being like mid-May, um, lo and behold, they say, uh, no, we're not doing PvE anymore, or at least not in the same way. All the things that you got really hyped about, we're not doing that anymore. We'll still do some story missions, but they'll come out piecemeal across various seasons, uh, but don't worry, you're going to have fun with those, which if those story missions are going to be anything like the story missions that they've already done across overwatch one. And I don't know if Overwatch two's gotten any story missions. I don't remember. Um, uh, I mean, they didn't, they do like, I, I don't have a lot of time on overwatch. Two. I have like, I think for context, you and I both play a lot, played a lot of overwatch. Like I have like yeah. 1600 hours on overwatch one. Yeah. Like I played a lot of overwatch one and it, it was one of my favorite games. Same. Um, and then Overwatch 2, I had next to no interest in. I Like, you and I played a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know I played, you bought I played Battle Pass. I played a lot more. You you bought the Battle Pass, right? Yeah, I maxed out the Battle Pass on, the, I think, the first two seasons. Yeah, and, like, for me, like, I didn't put any money into it. I just wanted to see what it was. And for me, honestly, like, the change from 6v6 to 5v5 and then the, the role shift for some heroes and some, you know, changes in abilities, honestly, that could have just been a huge update to Overwatch 1. Yeah. Knowing that they aren't doing the PVE anymore. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it sucks. Cause I think a lot of people were like really invested in Overwatch 2 and really excited about what was to come. But the justification for yeah. the two on Overwatch was this brand new, like, 
like experience, experience this PVE yeah. that was basically likened to things like Vermintide, where it's just this sprawling, highly replayable uh, network of missions that you could select from and play and advance storylines and level up your character and get new gear and shit like that. You know, um, it was touted as being that sort of uh, uh, a game. Mm-hmm. And now we're probably just going to get jumbled up story games where or story missions where the story's interesting, but you play it once, maybe twice, and then or they'll you're do done. PVE events like Halloween. Yeah, they'll just do more PVE events that are just not yeah, and that, that interesting. But that's just Overwatch One. That's just Overwatch yep. One. Um yeah, I, I feel the same. I think to answer Jeremy's question, I think Watsi is obviously like a really complicated one um for me having like worked with them like what what they've done with like the pinkertons and stuff objectively bad yeah. like zero support from me for watsy for that like that's what on record terrible i think the way the summit was handled like they fumbled that shit real hard um do but i think my like my, I think my relationship with Watsy products is 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 complicated because it's like I I still have my we we have our D and D game yeah um and I enjoy playing Magic the Gathering but will I buy a lot of stuff Nah not really um and do I need to buy stuff No because I don't really need anything to play D and D Sure like really don't um. And I guess it further makes things complicated because I got a package from them in the mail last week. And they they were like, oh, you know, thanks for attending Summit. Here's some stuff. Um, am I going to use it? Probably not. I'm actually going to give one of them away. Yeah. Uh, they gave me uh, uh, one of the alt art covers for Keys from the Golden Vault. Oh, yeah. Uh, they gave me two boxes of the uh, campaign cases, so the creature and terrain. You know those like uh, little sticky tokens, the reusable ones. Sure. Uh, yeah. It's called campaign campaign case. Um, they sent me like two of those, um, and then they sent me a one of the deluxe edition boxes from of the Dragonlance, uh, of the Dragonlance uh, sort of like adventure. So it comes with like the board game and the book. But they already sent me one of those. And again, unsolicited. I don't get paid for this stuff. I don't ask for this stuff. Um, and there was never an expectation that I talk about them. They sent me that stuff like last November. So I end, end up having like a duplicate of a product that I'm never going to use. So mm. I'm going to give it to Mark, yeah. who's, who's like, I know, a big Dragonlance fan. Because uh, I'm going to see him this Friday when when I drive out to Ottawa. But... I don't know. I have just like a complicated relationship with them. Like I think how they've treated the product kind of like sucks. I think how they sent Pinkerton agents really fucking sucks. How they handled the OGL thing really fucking sucks. Um, How like Summit was handled really fucking sucks. Um, But I've been playing D&D since I was like 11 years old. So it's it's harder to I would say I love D&D but I don't love Watsy. And they're kind of like, it's hard to separate the two of them. Sure. At least for me. I mean, with Uh, um, Overwatch, I mean, the thing is, is that like Overwatch 
Warcraft, Starcraft, Diablo. Like these are like a lot of my like top ten franchise. Like like Blizzard, not Activision Blizzard, Blizzard. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day was my number one publisher. I would play anything that they put out. And I yeah. did Hearthstone except for World of Warcraft because it's an MMO and I just don't get along with MMOs by and large, but I love yeah, the totally. world and I love the story, you know, and, and I love all that kind of stuff. Um, and so like when all of the like Activision Blizzard uh, cases uh, of assault and harassment and, and really some really disgusting, heinous activities and, and behaviors and abuse within uh the company came to light um that's that's hard you know and it's like you know how do i navigate that you know which is yeah mm, not that difficult compared to you know the people that are that are living those experiences and becoming targets uh from pretty nasty people uh both before it came out and you know because they were brave enough to say something um, so like my, the pressures that I face, mm, not that big in the yeah. grand scheme of life, but it's like, like these like are, imagine if you were, a, if you were a content creator yeah, and your livelihood was based on those games. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure a lot of overwatch two content creators are in a crisis, especially those that have been doing this for a very long time. Um, but what had kind of helped, what kind of helped me be like, okay, I'll get back into overwatch two was that mm. the Overwatch team, from what I understood, by and large, had nothing to do with these company allegations. You know, they were yeah. they were kept separate, and Jeff Kaplan, the game director, um, you know, kind of kept them separated from all of the the nightmare that Activision and the higher ups in Blizzard kind of brought into the fold. Um, mm. You know, and then of course. <clears throat> then of course Kaplan left, which honestly might you know have been because they found out that they couldn't do this PVE experience anymore, and he was always pushing for the PVE constantly. Yeah, that was his that was his baby. Yeah, right? he he had always wanted that sort of storytelling, and he 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 has always been the advocate for PVE. It seemed, um, but but that helped me, you know, be like, okay, I don't like Activision Blizzard. And I think that a lot of this is very heinous and I'm trying to navigate this as best I can and boycott various things and and not engage with various things. Yeah. But I love Overwatch and I love the team behind it. And they've always, you know, they, uh, they seem like good people and they seem that they're separated from this nasty stuff, you know? And while, yes, it's the whole thing of like, Ah, but you want to support the devs. Ah, but the devs are getting paid anyways. Like, you know, like there's that whole discourse on, yeah. on you know, supporting games for the sake of the devs. Um, but, I, you know, I felt like it was all right to maybe do a little bit of buying in into Overwatch 2 and spending a little bit of money. Um, and now I don't regret it, but now I'm like with, with this kind of recent think breaking of promises from from the overwatch team now it's loss just of like, trust. yeah it's loss of trust right yeah 100 percent. like what's going to happen to diablo 4 because i know you and i were both god i'm so excited for it but you know excited but but also like 
what the fuck's gonna what what the fuck's gonna happen with it, right? Um, I is it gonna launch disastrously like uh, Diablo three did? Is it gonna have this weird broken marketplace and economy? Is it gonna be like this huge pay to win experience like Diablo Immortal? Um, Also, like the company is like clearly showed that they don't care about this awful internal culture that they have. They, I just, yeah, like, I haven't heard about it in quite a while, so I don't know what the, I'm sure that there are, there are legal reasons why, but also like this whole Microsoft merger and everything and mm, how, yeah. you know, that's being blocked. That's been rejected by the FTC and it's been rejected by that regulating body that's in the UK yeah. as well. Um, and I just, I have really complicated feelings. Like, to, so to circle back, I think to answer Jeremy's question, I think the answer for you and I is actually Activision Blizzard. Yeah. Um, like huge fans, but I just, I just can't, despite being very excited about Diablo Four. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'll buy the game. Like, I don't know. Um, I certainly won't make any content or stream it or anything like yeah. that. Certainly won't. Um. But yeah, I have really complicated feelings about Activision Blizzard and Watsy for that. I think with Overwatch 2, a lot of the eh, new-ish stuff, the stuff that they're now kind of promising is supposed to come out on the roadmap in like season six, I think two seasons from now. Um, I might pick it up then again since, you know, it's free to play. It's I don't think my uh, four, right. four hours of seeing what's up is going to make a huge difference in the grand scheme of any of it. Um, but I might pick it up again just to see what what's going on based on what we were promised, what we got, you know, and just see what's up with it. But yeah, you know, yeah, we'll see. I just we'll see. Ugh, very complicated feelings about Activision Why and, and Watsy. So <laughs> many dookie companies have to exist. Yeah, and I just fuck up my enjoyment of things. Yeah, yeah, I just that's it sucks, but. Hey, at least we have each other. Okay. <laughs> at All least right. we have each other. All right. I just, I just, I just, we... I just leave this to the call. <laughs> yeah, just, just, you're just done. Just, okay, right. show's canceled. We're never doing <laughs> you, this again. You fucking thought. Boop, boop. <laughs> um, why don't we move on to another question? Sure. Um, because I know that we can kind of. We could, we could just keep rolling. We could just keep with... talking about Activision Blizzard and why we're really upset about it. But I think we would just keep repeating ourselves. Yeah. Um. Why don't we go to um, most honorable? Most honorable had a question, and it was like, "What's a not as well known fictional world that you think would make a great campaign setting?" Um, and I know you would say Overwatch. I know you would be interested in Overwatch and the. To be the fair, Omnic I think it's a pretty War. well known. I think it's a pretty well known. I don't that pretty well known one. It's not exactly indie, you know. I don't think the question is indie, or I think it's more. Along the, the way I interpreted this question is very much like, what's something that people may not have ever thought would be a campaign Oh, set? I see. My first thing was like, oh, I know Drew's going to say something about Overwatch. I would love you know, it. I'm not, our, I'm not our, lying. Our feelings about it. I would love it. Yeah. I I actually have an answer to this one. Um, I'm looking around my room I for would, inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I would say... I would say the world of most recently Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, but for me, I don't find the world all that interesting, but I like the aesthetic of it. 
I like how they've used sort of like Jomon archaeology in Breath of the Wild. And I love how they've used sort of late bronze, sort of late and early Bronze Age Chinese uh, sort of archaeology as inspirations for some of the technology in Tears of the Kingdom. I like how they've really taken this world that has a lot of inspiration from European fantasy and really injected Asian influence into it in a very interesting way. Uh, but I don't think that it would make a great campaign setting. Um, for me, there's two. One is the world of Genshin Impact. And I know that one is like, it's a lot like lesser known and I've definitely talked about it. Sure. I really like the world of Genshin Impact and I like how it's kind of varied and very interesting. It's got this mytho- mythos behind it. Um, that's one that I would 100% drop money on if they were like, hey, we've got a campaign setting or, or a TTRPG. The, I guess, not as well-known one, at least maybe to our audience or to TTRPG folks, is the um, the the world of um, uh, Kentaro Miura's uh, Berserk. That's the one I would pick. Um, have you ever read Berserk nope. or, or watched like the anime or the movies? Or I'm, like that? I've seen like clips that friends have shown me. Okay. Like, oh my god, he's got this big sword. He's so cool. <laughs> he's so cool. He's so edgy. He's Guts. So edgy. <sighs> Uh, um, I really like the world of Berserk. I think it's really interesting. The story is not, I've said this on the podcast before, it is not for, for everyone. Um, it's extremely dark. But I think the world is very interesting. Um, I think that would be a really cool sort of like grim dark campaign setting to, to play in. Uh, the second one would be the world of, um, I think this would be an interesting TTRPG, mm-hmm. uh, the world of Fullmetal Alchemist. I think would would be another yeah. very interesting one. That that's what I would pick. Those are my two picks. It would be the worlds of Berserk and Fullmetal Alchemist. Oh God, I'm trying to think. I'm thinking so hard. You're still looking around your room. Oh, I'm looking through <laughs> my Steam my Steam library now. I'm trying to find anything that that would be interesting. Um. And oh, a, I don't think it has cool. to be video games. Okay, I have one. Okay. I think the world of Hunt Showdown oh. would be so cool okay. as like a survival okay. horror TTRPG setting kind of thing. So for those who don't know, Hunt Showdown is set in like an alternate history of like the Louisiana sort of deep south bayou. Um, and it is a post-Civil War, uh, post-American Civil War uh, alternate history where... Uh, zombies exist basically <laughs> basically and, and like other 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 creatures yeah other like horrors. occult zombie necromancy things have happened uh and so you have this really really unique take on like post-civil war uh culture and um weaponry uh in this really cool setting of, of the bayou where there's just like swamp zombies and shit everywhere uh, and it has really interesting swamp zombies. Little swambies, as I like to call them. <laughs> and um, it's a great game. Uh, really fantastic game. I wish it was like a single player version of it. I think that'd be a really interesting uh, open world experience. Almost like, uh, almost like Far Cry in, in a sense. Yeah, like Far Cry or Fallout, you know. Or like or Far Cry 2. Yeah. Where it's like hyper realistic. Oh, take your malaria pills. Yeah. Did you see yeah. that... Um, 
that interview where the general manager of Hunt Showdown said that 40% of players have never killed another player. Yeah, which is wild to me. Because I've killed uh, I, so I'm, many uh, players. Well, I'm assuming that means that a lot of people have tried the game and were just like, not for me. And then just like... It's possible. It. But it's also... Listen. Hunt Showdown. So uh, uh, for a little bit extra for those who don't know. It is very much in the same genre as like Escape from Tarkov where it is a bunch of battle it's a it is a more realistic battle royale where everyone's dumped into the same like hunting ground and you can shoot at anyone and everything you know uh you have the pve element of the zombies and the different other creatures that spawn you have the other hunters in the area that you know and then you have uh one or two final bosses which are the bounties and you want to kill those bosses and then uh, banish them and then extract their bounties and, and be able to get to a, a, an end zone, like an extraction point. Um, there are many players in that game who are just straight up rats. They are just rats <laughs> who are creeping around all the time, uh, who, who, whose first instinct when they come across another player is to get the fuck out or just go really still and just crouch in a corner until you leave. Uh, so it, it it does not surprise me that, but that's a viable, but that's a viable strategy in that game. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. That would be a cool campaign setting though. Um, that'd be a very cool campaign setting. I think you could almost, I think it would be interesting if you had a big setting and it was like a hex crawl and you were moving from hex to hex and you could say, you could dictate if you want to move like in a stealthily manner or if you want to move aggressively and then you would have your like sort of encounters, I think that would be really neat. Yeah. And you could track your ammo. Like we talked about with the uh, Daniel and Drew Survive the Apocalypse yep. episode, you can like track ammo. And I think it would be interesting if failure to to do like skill checks and stuff actually resulted in noise because I know sound is really important in Hunt Showdown. Sound and is I think super having, important. And I think having a, a, a noise mechanic uh, essentially represent your threat level or the threat level of the environment on you might be a really cool thing to bring into a, a stealth-based TTRPG. Yeah, uh, I think that'd be really cool because like if you're in Hunt Showdown, hunt, uh, uh, the sound is so important because you can, you know, it's a, it's a bayou. So there's tons of like mud and water. And so when you can hear someone's barefoot grippers just walking through the, the mud, from yeah. 20 you know from 20 yards away and you're just like oh shit was that little extra step one of the zombies that are walking around cuz you obviously hear them as well or was that an extra footstep that didn't belong oh like and you just get real nervous all of a sudden god what a good game yeah and it, it it's a matter of trying to replicate that in sort of like a, a TTRPG experience mm-hmm. where you're also being there is the potential for you to be hunted as well. Yeah. And I think there's this like interesting, there's the potential for you to basically be like, I am the hunter right now. And then if you fuck up enough, you are becoming hunted. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. You could even use like, um, like the forge in the dark system, right? The, with the clocks. clocks. Yeah. Where you make too much noise and then suddenly now flips around and you're now hunted. Ooh, Dying Light could use the same idea. Even. Yeah, you could do that with Dying where Light. Where it's like where it's uh, like um but use it as like phases of the day when it gets to nighttime, then they those super zombies come ooh, out. Ooh. Yeah. And you run out ooh, of time. Yeah, that'd be neat. 
But then you'd have to... Dying Light would also be a cool one. I'm going to say that right now. Yeah. I, I think with Dying Light, if it were a TTRPG, you'd have to figure out... You'd have to make parkour really engaging. Like the, the, the movement. You as a person have to do it before you roll. You have to do it. Like, okay, I need you to go and jump off that building into a glider. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you'd have to have a fail forward system. Yes. Like you can't, okay, roll the jump over this, this crate. <laughs> I uh, failed. No, you, 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 you bumped your shins. Okay, you're dead. Um, I think it would have to be a, a fail forward system. Yeah, for sure. Um, or, or something where you accrue stunt points or something. You can just spend them to succeed on things. Yeah, I don't know. I so aside from like fictional settings, I guess what I really want right now for some interesting settings are like more grounded historical or historical adjacent things. Yeah. Like I would really love some of that kind of stuff right now. Um I love fantasy, I love sci-fi, I love all the I love all the genres. But I'd really like some historical or like pseudo historical stuff. I'm not going to say it has to be exactly this thing. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly play Ross rifles. Yeah. It doesn't have to be <laughs> like exactly like the sixth century, uh, CE or anything like that, but you know, it can, it can have its pseudo history. It can have its, you know, um, yeah, there's, there's Aegon. Have you played Aegon? I think I own Aegon. I've never played it. Aegon's a cool one. Um, that's I, one that you know, honestly i don't know if it's so much that i want these settings to exist i think a lot of these things do exist it's just nobody wants to play them with me <laughs> so you 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 need a group that is interesting like i, I would mean, really you know, love to you know play i'd be World down War two uh game i'd really oh, love to play yeah. um the one that is the world war three that you bought oh yeah twilight 2000 oh god i'd love to play that dude i'll, I'll run it hell yeah I think it'd be super fun. We just got to get the right group together to 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 do it. It would be really we'll figure it out if Emma was like, "I'll play, but I don't want my character to die." So we, to just, die. we just keep sending <laughs> Emma's character forward, knowing that they won't die, knowing that they won't die. <laughs> yeah, no, I you can't get a yeah you can't get attached. To, I don't think you can get attached to a character in that. No, probably but, not. Um, I wonder. I want to run it, but I received my copy at a very awkward time. Yeah, and it felt weird to. To be like, hey, do you want to play this Twilight 2000 <laughs> hey, you know game, how, Drew? You know also, you know Ru- just, the, the yeah, you know how Russia is. invaded Ukraine. Do you want to role play? I got that? this new RPG <laughs> about the aftermath. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I do want to play it. Um, I have like the nice physical box, and I would love to like play it with the maps and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've I've got to purchase the digital stuff as well, or I might have it from the Kickstarter. I'll have to check. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I. I'm totally down. Um, okay, let's try to let's try to get a couple of other questions in. Okay. Uh, we're already at an hour. Um, it's so easy to fill time. Oh yeah, I know. Uh, okay, so we've we've actually answered Agatha's question as well because Agatha also asked about like a TTRPG story or setting or genre, and I think we had mentioned. Uh, we've talked about survival. We've talked about uh, sort of an a like a pseudo historical setting uh, and. Uh, more of like potentially a military genre um or or i guess the survival genre yeah um or post-apocalyptic um we have multiple questions about dice um (laughs) miss mike and most honorable most honorable both ask dice questions 
Uh, Miss Mike asked if someone made a unique dice that represented you, what would it look like? I'm going to, I'm going to also add to the question, Drew, how many sides would the dice have Would the die have? And then what would be the color or how, how would the die look? So it could be one of like the core dice, like D4, D6, D8, D10, all that stuff. Um, but what would be inside it? And what would the numbering look like? What would sure. color? So mine would be a D4 made out of bone because my bones uh-huh. are bad and they hurt. <laughs> okay. That, that, would that. that would be yours. That would be yours. That would be yours. Okay. That's it. That that's it. My Mine... bones are bad and they hurt. Therefore, they're D four <laughs> made out of bones. What kind of bone? Uh, mine. Yours. <laughs> <laughs> I would love. I think it'd be really cool to have a, a like a D twenty, but it would be made of a uh, like a dinosaur fossil. That'd be cool. That'd be heresy though, because then you'd be destroying a dinosaur fossil to then make. Or, oh, in line with our no dice, no problem, a whole set of coprolite dice. It's just all coprolites. Fossilized poop. Hell um, yeah. That'd be fun. That'd be really cool. That'd be, yeah, coprolite dice. That, that would be my pick. And it would be a, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. At least mine's locally like a D20. Yeah. I mean, I could find locally sourced coprolites. Sure. Too. Um, <laughs> if I were to pick like a transparent one, I would, ooh, I just dropped this die. I would love to have tiny little trilobites inside the dice. Ooh, that'd be sick. That'd be really cool. If you've ever seen, have you seen trilobites that are prepared uh, in a way where they look as though they are actually emerging out of the stone? No. So instead of impressions, oh my God, dude. Um, they are, um, I'm going to pull up some. I went to this museum in Houston. Their okay. natural history museum, and they had some incredible trilobites. Uh, I have them on the screen for our uh, our our patrons who watch, who can get access to the video. But I think most people, when they see trilobite fossils, they see the um, sort of the impressions, or they're very flat. But there are some very rare trilobite fossils where the exoskeleton is preserved, and so the um, the prep teams at the museum actually like carve them out of the surrounding rock so you could see the spines oh i see that's cool it's very cool um but i think having like trilobite inside die uh, like a a die set that'd be really neat that'd be my pick um most honorable also asked (laughs) um if dice were edible how should that feel as a chew and how should it taste so mouthfeel and flavor okay so you know like if you've ever been to like I don't know, uh, a historic site of any kind. And they have those like 50 cent long stick can't like, like stick candies. But then they also have the, the, oh, yeah, yeah. the sugar crystal rock candy on the long yeah, on the, wood, on like the wood, the wood, wood stick. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It would be like that, but smooth, right? It would, it would, it would have mm. a, that sort of sugar crystal mouth crunch and probably taste, but it'd be smooth. Like, you know, because it'd be a cube. Ooh, mine, what I would do is uh, I would do it like hot ones. I would do it like hot ones. <laughs> okay. And they would be uh, gummy dice. 
Okay. But then they would escalate in terms of Scovilles. Oh, okay. But they escalate alongside the the, the, the amount of sides on the dice. The amount of sides. The amount of sides. Yeah. So um, D20 kills you. D20 would kill you, and then you would basically go from like a D4. It's like, oh, this is nice and sweet, and they would just slowly ramp up. Yeah. That's what I would do. Yeah. That'd be my... Like and then those. the extra question would be... Um, what would Chessex dice taste like? Um, or would they taste the worst? They taste like coprolite. Rock? Yeah, just like fossilized poop. Yeah, they, we don't like Chessex dice here. No. Um, or Chessex yeah. show. Yeah, you'll see. <laughs> can you imagine? We do We do a um, <laughs> We do a, a, a con recording. It's like, this episode of No Dice, No Problem is sponsored by Chessex. Okay. Get your dice. Okay, you know how, <laughs> you know how like, at conventions, most of these, like, booths... Uh, the only thing separating them from other booths are they're just like black felt like cloth, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. What if we just park on the other side of that for the Chessex booth and we're just we're, we're just shitting on them in a recording right <laughs> behind them? Oh man, what? <sighs> no, I I think Chessex is good. Deep. Um, I just don't think that any, anyone Sponsor needs us. more of them, unless Sponsor we're us. sponsored. In which case. When it comes to bang for use your code buck. problem, use code problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think uh, I think the message of the 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 Chessex episode we did was we hate poor people. You no, know, <laughs> the, <laughs> the the message of that episode was consider your your Asian dads are telling you how to save your money and don't buy Chessex dice. Buy beautiful handmade dice or support your local like uh dice makers if you want to uh aggrandize dice why buy um, 10 sets of eight dollar dice when you could buy one set of 80 dollar dice yeah really nice ones too yeah. or i can't we can't even afford the yanier dice those are so nice yeah those god. are those are god those are so nice mm. um okay so we have a question from billman who asked have you ever run into puzzles rpg or otherwise that make use of like other senses like auditory f- like feel or scent um basically like incorporating sense senses into i guess tabletop rpg puzzles or in your campaign i think is that i think that's the question uh yeah cuz i'm assuming billman is not talking about a game called puzzles rpg but rather puzzles in rpgs or like rpgs well, I'm that are based take on a puzzles look. I'm going to look. Puzzles RPG. No, that's definitely not it. Unless it's just poor branding and you just, we can't find puzzles, the RPG. Yeah. Um, I think it's puzzles in RPGs. I'm not a big fan of putting puzzles into like TTRPGs. Puzzles make me mad. Because I think they also like tell the party that there's only one way to solve this problem. And I think with my style, I like I want people to be able to go and like figure out a creative answer. So it's just like, oh, we can't get through this door unless we solve this very specific puzzle. Well, not I'm not super into that. It's not even that for me. For me, one of the struggles that I have with puzzles uh, as a player or as a DM, it doesn't really matter. It's just you know, as an someone who engages with TTRPGs, one of the issues with puzzles is puzzles rely on data on accurate data you know puzzles can't be misleading in that sense you know you have to be able to rely on so many different things 
And so if you are just relying as a player on like you are not receiving the puzzle from the DM, you are receiving an mm. interpretation of the puzzle from the DM and you might actually pick up on certain things uh, because the DM happened to uh, emphasize it that way through natural speech patterns. And you're now you're not now you're completely off the grid. Right, hundred percent. It you there has to be something tactile, yeah. presented to you, and then you might. Otherwise, go, if I'm describing a room to you, yeah. and the way I'm describing the room is actually inaccurate, then you'll just never solve it. Yeah, exactly, because you're relying mm. on uh, communication that could be bad, like it could be faulty communication, and so therefore you're not receiving a reliable set of data to make inferences on or, or to make any decisions with. Um, and so having a puzzle, like you were kind of saying, that has only one solution, often, at least in my experience, sent a, a otherwise well-paced session into the pits of nothing. Because now we're all agonizing over it, and the GM is just sitting there, whether I'm the GM or someone else's. Uh, now you're just sitting there being like, oh, God, like, what have I done? Yeah, and I don't I don't want to slow down the pacing of the game to do some sort of like Resident Evil puzzle yeah. where you have to like align this weird jumble of objects behind the light to project like an image. Yeah. And again, like it's the same way with investigations. Yeah. You know, if you're doing some sort of mystery in your setting, that's why those kinds of games are so... Um, potentially fraught with issues. I will not say. Well, there are there are systems for it. Yeah, there, there are, are systems, systems for, it, for it, like like Gumshoe. Yeah. Um. I don't know, but yeah, I I think it's. I'm possible. not. I'm not super into puzzles. I'm not super into puzzles either. However, I will say I think about puzzles sometimes, and I do think that putting something physically in front of players is a different story. So, uh, you know, if you are all just in your mind palaces painting your word pictures and you're trying to understand this puzzle based on the faulty descriptions of your GM, that's Mm -hmm. one thing. And I think that that's often a rough thing. And unless you are just playing ball with the player's answers and improvising the solution, um, I think walking in there with a set end goal and a set like solution that cannot change that's a bad idea however if you put something physically in front of players i think that can be different 100 percent. i like the idea of you know maybe collecting pieces of a map and then putting them all together yeah or having a whole bunch of maybe sheets of paper overlap to form and you hold it up to the light and then you you see the location of where you have to go exactly i like that because it's like hey we can get these pieces of paper however we want. And then we're going to put them together to get the solution. And not only um, that, you are now removing, as best you can at least, you are removing the possibility for miscommunication. 100%. So it has to be tactile. In terms of like senses, like like scent, because that was mentioned in the question, I'm not a big fan because I know that like there are folks who are like particularly sensitive to like perfumes and things like that. Um, yeah, it's so, going to have to be uh, I, very particular to your group and, and, yeah, and their absolutely. S- sensibilities and needs and desires. 
So. Yeah, and it's really hard to also describe something, especially to the senses, because if folks are like my brother and and Sarah, my partner, were trying to describe to me what different tree nuts tasted like. And for context, I am severely allergic to tree nuts, but I am in the midst of actually working with an immunologist and testing to see if I can eat some of them. And I'm actually in July going into the hospital to do like an exposure test to almonds. And they were trying to like describe to me what they taste like. And I was like, I have no idea. I have, I, I can't conceive of the taste of a cashew or an almond or a pistachio. Especially when you're like, oh, it tastes like a tastes like a hazelnut. I was like, I don't know what a hazelnut tastes like. Like it, it's really difficult it, when you don't have anything tactile, or you are making assumptions about another player's sort of uh, experiences yeah. with said stuff. Um, so yeah, I if I'm going to do puzzles, it's going to be collecting bits of things that you put together, but it's always going to be tactile and there really isn't room for like interpretation. There is going to be a clear cut answer, but it that puzzle will never be necessarily a hard barrier to advancing the story. Yeah. And, and it will be, Hey, collect these pieces, put them together. And now you'll see where to go. And I would say it, you know, it's a similar thing of like, okay. So you have a wizard that has a 20 intelligence, you know, you're real, real yeah. smart. Um, you're you're at the the farthest boundaries of of what a mortal can achieve in terms of intelligence, but obviously that's not the rest of us. You know that's not the average us. <laughs> right? Yeah, and so I think it's it's absolutely okay for you to, as a GM, DM, whatever, uh, either let them let them roll an intelligence check to get a hint or to kind of push it along. You could uh, just say. You know, hey, Ben, the wizard. Uh, <laughs> ben. <laughs> uh, That's what you thought of. <laughs> uh, you know, because of your intelligence, you start to see this sort of pattern emerge from the from what you're seeing in front of you. And then by that way, give them a hint. Or, hell, you could just try to let them have their own little moment by just like, you know, just messaging them individually, being like, hey, Here's a hint. Work off of that. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like our home game. Yeah. It's like your character is from this land and your character wouldn't just know stuff. So you're like, hey, would I know this? And I'll just tell you. Yeah. And I will say again to, to Billman's question, I think that bringing out a physical thing or, or bringing out some sort of physical element to a puzzle is really interesting. And in fact, for many could make it more accessible, but then you also mm. have to uh, survey your group and understand what accessibility means to them. Because, you know, like we mentioned, if they're very sensitive to smells or sounds or various certain things, then obviously spritzing perfume is maybe not going to have the desired <laughs> effect. It's just going to be particular to your group. So yeah, otherwise 100%. I do think it's cool. I think it's cool. Yeah, I um I like the idea of having some sort of tactile experience at the table. Really like that. Uh but it's um yeah. a tough thing to 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 really do. Um 
yeah, especially with like you have to consider so many factors. But but anyways, that's uh that's kind of our perspective on that. Uh, Temporal Insanity had a question about like if your favorite TTRPG was a uh, flavor of bubble tea, what kind would it be? And I've kind of struggled. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't think I have like a favorite TTRPG. Like my favorite TTRPG is whatever I'm playing with my friends. Um, I guess that's kind of a cop out of an answer. I mean, I guess like I love D and D. I've been playing it for so long. But D&D is like very vanilla. It's like just the brown sugar milk tea. That's that's, that's exactly what, it is what I was going to say. Because <laughs> like, like I, I'm at that crossroads that so many other people are at where it's like D&D still is probably my favorite. Um, maybe not even because of its own merit, but just because it's the one I've played vastly more than any others. And mm-hmm. the amount of chances I have to play D and D are far more than the chances I have to play any others. And like Twilight Two Thousand, yeah. Um, so I don't have as much exposure. So yeah, it's probably D and D, which is brown sugar, you know, milk tea, milk with, tea with bubbles. Yeah, with which is your base tapioca, nothing yeah, extra, nothing extra. Yeah, hundred percent. And then the last question I wanted to save this for last was Cat's question. What's a creative goal that you each have for the next 30 days or so? We're going to release those chi rules. We are going to release those chi rules. That'll be fun. Because uh, we all, I need everyone to go over the, uh, the new draft that Jeremy put out. Yeah. Um, we have been working on chi rules for 5e and Pathfinder. And mm-hmm. through Valorous Games, we're going to kind of release it as like a... Uh, Pay uh, like a small, like something like three bucks um, with like community copies on DriveThruRPG, but it'll just be rules on how to incorporate a more nuanced concept of chi into either your D&D or Pathfinder game with associated rules for each of those systems. Uh, we're definitely going to release that uh, within the next 30 days or so. And then is there anything else that you have as an individual? Uh. that you or it, and, and I say creative goal. I don't think that's like, to publish. It could be just to finish something. So the creative goals right now for me is I'm trying to get back into like doing a lot more regular model painting and stuff. Mm. Um, so um, in my setting, uh, there's my, the, my campaign revolves around a particular city, which is like a giant sort of, um, you know, fantasy sci-fi ish looking you know uh city that has huge wealth disparity it's your typical gotham and and you know it's it's your piltover and zon from arcane from from legal legends yeah um and so uh there's a lot of gangs and i really love uh different there's just like a lot of criminal organizations and, and and like different factions of law enforcement and like there's just a lot of interesting little factions and stuff and so I'm trying to collect miniatures for like my visions of those specific ones. Oh, cool. Um, so like one of the uh, gangs that I w- I'm trying to do right now are called the bloody hairs and they wear these like rabbit masks that are like crimson red. Um, oh, and that's, that's a good name. Yeah. They're very like the bloody hairs are very um, agile focused, lots of parkour and shit, you know, yeah. uh, they're very fast uh, and known for their agility so I'm just trying to get all those kinds of things painted up, um, which is time consuming 
And especially when you are not so locked into the hobby that you just automatically do it as your thing. Uh, I have to be in the mood. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, my painting setup is used to permanently be at my desk, yeah. but when I reorganized everything in our, in our home, my painting setup kind of had to be packed away so I can only paint when I take it all out. Sure. And so it's, it, it that's a barrier for me yeah. also with the fact that I'm extremely burnt out. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm actually going to release on um, like I have like a little like private Patreon that kind of just I used to hold myself accountable to like creative stuff um, where I'm putting out my uh, a higher level preview of my campaign setting yeah. um, that our home game takes place in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I actually uh, I'm sharing our uh, Albert Rodeo from our home game. But I, I made like a hex map and it's got all these locations and we're currently using it to, to track sort of where the party is going and this creature, this Tautia, that's hunting them. But what I've been doing is actually laying out uh, particular like specific sections of the map. So different provinces and all the key locations and I have details about them and like what the weather's like in the seasons. And then I'm going to build... Um, tables for each one so like encounter tables uh within like the azure lowlands or with within the jade highlands and things like that but i think within the next 30 days i'll have laid out all of all four provinces within my campaign setting um okay fucking sucks yeah that that place sucks (laughs) um but i'm gonna (laughs) basically lay it all out as like a travel guide to the land of blades and then i'm gonna give it to like my home game, so like Drew, like your character would know all about most of these places. Okay, yeah. Um, and so it gives people more, uh, gives the players uh, more, I guess, knowledge that you know they they might have accumulated over the past like two years we've been playing. Almost, yeah, it's been over two years. Yeah, yeah. We're in year three. We're going. We're we're we've entered year three. Yes, I think. Oh my god, we're playing a while. It's been a while, but yeah, that's that's what I want to finish. Um, I'm just at the stage where I'm just writing descriptions of each of the provinces, and then all the locations are already written out. Um, and I've used this uh, tool called HexKit. Uh, I got it on Itch uh, to make all of the maps. So very excited about that. Um, but yeah, that's that's all the questions, Drew. I think we're gonna call this episode. Daniel and Drew hate puzzles in DDRPGs. <laughs> <laughs> we that's are, what i'm thinking right now we are haters did is it daniel and drew hate puzzles or daniel and drew hate puzzles and ttrpgs no i think we hate puzzles okay daniel and drew hate puzzles that's going to be the episode um but yeah that was uh that was like a good mix of questions but i think we got really into just hating on activision blizzard God, we love hating um God, we really do love hating. To be fair, Activision Blizzard these days is not necessarily deserving of love. So no, correct. You know. Absolutely, it's not. It's um, not like Chessex Dice, who have verifiably, to my knowledge, done nothing wrong to deserve this. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we're actually not even hating on Chessex. We're just saying, you know, yeah, we're not hating on Chessex at all by telling everyone to not buy them. Yeah, not at all. Um, but yeah, that was um, <laughs> Drew. I'm glad we 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 got this done. I'm oh, glad yeah. we have. Um, made public our intentions to record multiple podcast formats at Big Bad Con. So if folks from Big Bad Con are listening, you know how to find us. Oh, yeah. 
The history of role-playing games is weird and wild, and we here at System Mastery are determined to look through it all. Every heartbreaker that drove a man to bankruptcy to see his vision of D&D with really specific armor maintenance rules come to fruition. Every game where you get increasingly certain as you read it that this is all just one person's weird fetish. Every system that painstakingly recreates how medieval life was really like, and then also you can cast Fireball. The System Mastery podcast wallows in the filth of RPG history. Come, join us in the muck at System Mastery.